A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Right, so I've said this quite often about coming to AEW is I, I got a chance to to meet and, and work with a lot of guys that I don't know a lot about. And Prince Nana is here, and I've heard your name for such a long time. And then obviously when Tony first got Ring of Honor, you started coming around, and I was like, who is this guy? And then seeing your work and kind of being around you a little bit more, it's very kind of a long history, very intriguing awesome. character here. Awesome. Um, so kind of tell us how, how, how we got lots to discuss, but how have you, how did you end up in AEW uh, in the first place? So, well, it, it, Chris, number one, thank you for having me on your podcast. This yeah. is what the number one podcast on, on the podcast network. We're going to say that number one, number <laughs> one in the world. But, um, it, it's crazy because, uh, you know, AEW was a company that was kind of birthed if you will, through ROH at that particular point in time. So that first all-in show, obviously I wasn't a part of that show, wanted to be a part of it, but history was made. Uh, the years went by, uh, and, and I was beginning to kind of lose my luster because I had just you know, uh, departed from Ring of Honor. They were still owned by Sinclair Broadcast Group. Uh, I, I had to make a decision whether I was going to continue trying to perform or if I was going to try and get a job somewhere else doing something else. Luckily, I, I you know, touched base with a couple of good friends, Homicide, Carrie Silken, CD, uh, and also uh, Nick Buck. And, and these guys encouraged me. They were like, listen, you know, there may not be an opportunity right now, but, you know, Keep doing your thing. Go out there. Try to get some, you know, local bookings, some national bookings, and just get your embassy thing going again. And I took their advice. I did it. Uh, I did one uh, dark match. It was like a tryout match in New York City with the two, you know, local guys. It went well. Six months later, Chris, it, it's six months. I, I was like, I'm done. There's no going back to AEW. I did. That was my little trinket. And then uh, I'm in my basement. I'm there with one of my trusted advisors. Uh, and we're sipping on some tea, if you will, and just shooting the shit. And I just, out of the blue, get a text message. Hey, how soon can you make it out to Boston? I just jumped out of my seat. <laughs> I was like, uh... And, and, you know, everyone in the business, they know that I don't drive. 
Oh, I really? can drive, but I usually, you know, like to take, uh, you know, get driven or something of that nature. So uh, I, I, you know, looked at the schedule. The schedule would have gotten me there at 8 p.m. So they're like, listen, we can't do that. We, we need to get you here immediately. I said, listen, I could jump in an Uber and I'll be there in the next two to three. You're in New York City. I'm in New York City in Brooklyn. Did the pricing for the Uber. It came out to $650. I was like, let's do it. But it doesn't end there, Chris. One Uber car came by. He saw where I was going. He said, sorry, I can't do it. The next one came, said, sorry, I can't do it. The third guy came. I begged him. I got on my knees for the first time in my life, got down on my knees, and I begged the driver. I said, please, can you please take me to Boston? I'll do whatever you want, and I have a big tip for you. This is very, very important. He saw it in my eyes. He was like, get in the car, and, and that's when history was, was made. I, I ended up making it out there to Boston. I met Tony Khan. He hired me on the spot, and, and history was made. So Tony obviously had seen your work from Ring of Honor. Kind of oh, what yeah. You expect, oh, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. I met Tony uh, that first time that I came to AEW. Uh, I was walking through the hall with uh, Homicide. And Tony, you know, he usually busts out of his office to go to the gorilla to, you know, greet the fans. And he busted out his office and ran into me. And this is the first time I ever met him. And he actually was like, oh, my God, Prince Nana, what's up? And that was a great feeling to know that the owner of the next biggest company in the, in the United States knew who I was. So, so that was a really good feeling. And you had created kind of the embassy in Ring of Honor, and you've you've brought that here into AEW and kind of built it. So, yes, yes. so have you always been a, a manager? Did you train to wrestle? Uh, no, I actually. It's funny because I, I was actually a wrestler. Uh, I worked for ECWA for a very long time with Jim Kettner. Uh, I did some uh, extra work during the heat and the metal era. And it's funny, I ran into you in the locker room when I was doing some uh, extra work, and you knew me back then. Just from, like, the Ring of Honor stuff, you're like, oh, yeah, I know you, Prince Nana. But then, you know, a lot of years went by, and I kind of took a, seat, a step back from being a pro wrestler and kind of, you know, uh, capitalized on what I was really good at, which was being on the mic. And I became a manager in, I think, 94. I'm sorry, in 2004. And then history was made there, too. You know, it's interesting because it's not easy to get into pro wrestling as a wrestler and probably even harder to get in as a manager because there's only a few spots available, yes, so to speak. So was it hard for you to kind of get... How did you kind of find your place in Ring of Honor to where you became a regular and part of the, of the foundation there? Well, you know, Ring of Honor, I was there from the very beginning. I oh. was one of the first guys booked on, on the card. Uh, the way I got discovered with that company was through the, the booker at that time. He saw me at an independent event in New York City. Uh, he said he loved my work. He was a huge fan. And I was already like four or five years in the business because I started when I was 15 years old. Wow. I started when I was 15 with Johnny Rods. Uh, so he booked me on that inaugural show. I wrestled for the first three or four years. I was actually in the um, competition or the road to the championship match for the first championship belt, knocked out by the competitor Loki in, in, that, uh, in that contest. Uh, and then, you know, uh, you know, again, my, my strength was being on the mic and compelling the fans. And, you know, the booker at that time, Gabe, he, he uh, you know, took notice of that and pulled me to the side at a show and was like, hey, listen, I, I, want, I want you to start a faction. 
And I was, I was delighted because in the back of my head, I kind of knew that that was the direction I eventually wanted to go. And he said, do you have a name for, for a faction that we can use right now? You guys are about to go out right now. And I was with Xavier, rest in peace. He was the second uh, Ring of Honor world champion. Uh, and uh, I was like, uh, uh, the embassy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's perfect. And uh, Bobby Cruz announced the embassy for the first time in 2004. And, and that's it. it we, we've had almost a dozen performers and a lot of them have gone on to do great things one of them Tommaso Ciampa he was in the embassy uh he got his start here in the embassy so a lot of a lot of great history here so the embassy isn't so much uh just certain guys it's kind of like the name of your family so to speak basically at this point in time it's it's our lineage Mm -hmm. just like uh in, in, in my Ghanaian culture, we have, uh, you know, our different lineages and family trees. Uh, in wrestling, the embassy is, is probably one of the most royal groups and most sophisticated groups in professional wrestling, my friend. And who's all in the embassy now in AEW right here? Right now, it's the Mogul Embassy. We've extended and we've merged with uh, Swerve Strickland, who's an awesome performer. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a champion one day. Agreed. Uh, we, we have the Gates of Agony, who are, you know, in product development currently, but they're also uh, one half of the three-man uh, world, uh, you know, trios, ch- trios champions over at Ring of Honor. And, and we have Brian Cage, who, who's been, you know, kicking butt for the last, you know, maybe 10 years on the, you know, in the wrestling scene. And, and it's just an honor to be working with all of these guys. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So when you come in and, and Tony Khan kind of hires you, does he give you <laughs> any uh, any direction of what he wants you to do? And is his idea to put you with the, these members of the embassy? Or do you have some input in that well, as well? Well, it, it was. I don't know if you're aware, but everything happened so out of the blue. Uh, Tully Blanchard, who had his Tully Blanchard enterprises going on, you know, something personally happened with him. So I guess he couldn't make the that pay per view, Death Before Dishonor. So when I did get into Tony Khan's office, which was a pretty intense meeting because there was just a lot of people there, a lot of the faces I knew, he was probably the only newer face. And he said, hey, Nana, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I, you know, I want to bring back the embassy. Basically, what we're going to do is you're going to we're going to say that, you know, uh, you purchase the embassy because you do have the purchasing power. <laughs> uh, and, and and basically, we're going to move on from there. He he basically just hired me on the spot. I worked uh, per appearance for for quite some time. And, and that was, you know, just because I wanted to kind of get my feet wet and really show people what I what I could do. And, and Tony seemed to have. 110% faith in me uh, from the day I started, so I thank him for that. I really do. He reminds me of Carrie Silken. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I hit it off with Carrie the moment I met him uh, when I found out he was going to be the owner of Ring of Honor, and the moment I, you know, started working with Tony, we hit it off, too. Were you working with Ring of Honor during the pandemic? 
Uh, I wasn't working okay. with Ring of Honor during the pandemic. I was Ring of, uh, I was working with Ring of Honor up until the Madison Square Garden show. Gotcha. And then I took my own hiatus just to get my life together. I had to figure things out. Ring of Honor was in a good place, but not in a good enough place right. for me personally. Uh, so I just had to you know, make sure I got my head right, make sure I had things good at home. And I did that. And then when it was time to inch back into the, the, the business... You know, thank God for friends like Homicide and, again, Christopher Daniels and, you know, Nick Buck, Carrie Silken and a few other guys who got me off my butt. Uh, and I started doing, you know, getting on the road again, doing the indies and, and putting my name out there and started the group all over again. What did you feel when Tony bought Ring of Honor? Were you excited about that? Oh, that was a huge, huge, that, forget it. Once he did that, I don't want to say that I jumped to conclusions, but when he did that, I was like, this is going to get interesting. And, and, and mainly for a lot of people who have been overlooked in pro wrestling, who may not you know, uh, have the opportunity to work in a company like AEW or one of the other bigger companies, uh, Ring of Honor is definitely a, a great starting point for any new wrestler or any old wrestler who's really just trying to you know get their name out there again and try to you know work their way back up the, the ladder to go to a company like aew you mentioned that you started at 15 years old how did you get into the business oh so man young? i cried to my mother i cried to her and she she said no for a good maybe three or four months uh before that i was a photographer and and i was a photographer for johnny rides and i also was a photographer for a lot of the local uh, magazines in in New York City, uh, not not in New York City, in the United States. So I would shoot at Madison Square Garden and submit my photographs. I started doing that for Johnny Rods also. So I shot all his guys: Big Vito, Devon Dudley, um, uh, Spanish Angel, Taz. All of those guys I shot while they were wrestlers. When I was finally able to wrestle under Johnny, which was at about 16 years old, I had to get a waiver signed by my mom. And like I said, I, I had to cry and beg. And I told her, this is the only thing that I ever want to do in my life. This is exactly what I told her. This is the only thing I want to do in my life. Please just let me do it. She said, you can do it. She was, you know, re reluctant at first. But she said, if you get a job and you save up your own money, and, and it wasn't a real job, just like a summer job, you can do whatever you want. And that's what I did. I saved up $2,000. I got it over to uh, Johnny Rod's. And I trained with some of the most toughest guys in the industry today. It's funny, $2,000 is kind of the price for wrestling schools, whether it's 1990 or yeah, 2005 or whatever like it may be. Yeah, that's just that's exactly and it's the crazy. choice. It depends on, on what type of person you are. You either got the $2,000 price or you got the $3,000 price. It depends. <laughs> what was the summer job that you had to raise the money? I, I actually uh, worked at a summer camp, and oh. I did that for many years. I became a director. Uh, of one of the camps for many years and we, we threw wrestling shows uh, I was the promoter I would bring in guys a lot of guys you know went on to do big things like Jay Lethal uh, forget it I can go down the, the whole list we had everyone come through to the camp and perform tell us a little bit about Johnny Rods I haven't really had a chance to talk about him for, I think Tommy Dreamer trained with Johnny yeah, Rods Tommy trained with him also so talk, talk about him for, for oh man he's you know Johnny Rods is the one of the main reasons why I'm in the business. He gave me a shot, gave me an opportunity. He's a no-frills guy. He's going to tell you like it is. Uh, one of the toughest 
individuals, you know, whoever uh, came to WWE and became, uh, you know, a superstar and a Hall of Famer. Uh, one of the things that I learned from him in this business is that anybody can make it in this wrestling business. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can never judge a book by its cover. And, um, you know, he was very big on the wheel. Okay. You know, if someone was helping me out in the ring and once I accomplished that and I was able to, you know, master that, it was my turn to teach the next person. And, and he still goes by that mythology today and it, and it works at his school you know some of the you know some really good guys came out out of that place like uh, tommy dreamer taz devon dudley you know big Vito, spanish angel a whole host of guys and and all of them were great to me as a youngster coming up in the game taught me a lot about the business and i still stay in contact with a lot of them today but johnny rods forget it he's a tough son of a gun sometimes you know he could be annoying and sometimes he'll he'll be like a, a father to you and he'll He'll talk you down, but at the end of the day, he's doing it for a reason. He's a great guy. I love him to death. Shout out, Johnny Rods. What was his training style? Kind of old, old school mentality? Oh, yeah. How did, how did it work when you first started going to his school? It was, a lot of it was, there was a lot of rolling. And we did so many rolls, and, you know, uh, forget it. It was a roll after roll. If you didn't get the roll down packed, you weren't able to move to the next uh, level, which was bumping, but... You know, basically his, you know, uh, the way that he ran things over there was just like a, a well-oiled wheel. Everyone was there to help out. We got in there. We did our roles. We, we did the formats of the, you know, the chain wrestling. We had free stuff, you know, free fall wrestling in there where guys could get in there, you know, work out for about 10 minutes, tag out, get back in, tag out. So there was a lot of, you know, back and forth and just a lot of good times. A lot of my good friends are, are from uh, Gleason's Gym in Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So let's talk about your lineage. You mentioned before, you know, your Prince Nana from, from Ghana is kind of uh, your background. But tell us your, your upbringing. Did you grow up in Ghana? Well, actually, I was in Ghana for the first few years of my life. Uh, I'm born in the United States, but relocated to Ghana uh, with the family, uh, the royal lineage of my family starts on my father's side, but that doesn't exclude my mother's side of the family also, uh, once we did some DNA tracking uh, as of late. But uh, my connection to the royal family is through the seventh ruler of the Ashanti kingdom, which uh, his name is uh, Nana Oseyao Okutu, and he's a direct relative of my paternal grandfather which is from Kumau, which is another town or another city in the Ashanti kingdom. So when we're talking about lineage, we, we come from a maternal society where the queen mother, she would choose from, you know, a variety of different, you know, cousins and brothers within the family lineage, different last names, uh, and choose the chief, which right now the chief of the Ashanti tribe is Osei Tutu II. All right. And, you know, when we go back to Ghana, that's who we 
we we show our respect to but as far as you know everyone within the family we have a part of that kinship within us that's why we call ourselves princes and kings and queens and so on and so forth so you do have some actual royal blood thank, in you. I, thank god we have some deep 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 pockets my friend <laughs> and uh my next trip to ghana uh god willing will be in february and in february hopefully i'll be able to uh meet personally uh my family member or say to to the second uh and also just you know tell him about all the great things that i've been doing uh as a part of the royal family so tell me what it's like in Ghana. When I'm thinking of you as part of the royal family, it's like you know coming to America, <laughs> Prin- Prince Akeem type of a thing. What's it like? It, it's something like that. You know, one thing about uh, Ghanaians or Africans, but Ghanaians in in general is that we do everything overboard. All right, we like to do it, or we'd like to do it and do it well. So when you you go to Ghana, just be ready to party. All right, <laughs> even when we have funerals, it's a big party and a celebration. And, and uh, when it comes to the tradition, you know, we, we make sure that we, you know, uh, showcase it in a way that everyone can get involved. So when you see me with all of my jewels on and my robes and the different African, you know, clothing that I wear, it's more of a, um, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? More of a celebration mm. of, of our heritage and the royalty that we come from. So is it kind of like a, a modern country? Uh, is it... Is... Ghana is very modern in in different places. Uh, right now, the the infrastructure over there is some of the top inf- infrastructure that you can find throughout Africa. You know, there's a lot of trade that goes on with uh, you know many different countries through Ghana, uh, which include you know uh, different minerals and different products that is uh, produced and shipped throughout the world that that comes from Ghana, which includes cocoa, which is uh, chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so Ghana, you know, you know, obviously the the country can do better as far as an uh, uh, ecological or uh, or financial, you know, cooperation in this world. But uh, we're definitely holding our own. We're definitely holding our own. The people are happy. We have uh, an open invitation to all African Americans to come to Ghana without a visa uh, to come and visit their homeland. You know, and um, we're probably the only country that does that in, in, in Africa. Is there a wrestling in Africa? In oh, Ghana? boy. Wrestling in Ghana is big. There's so many. I get so many emails weekly, Chris, uh, from men and women who just want some advice from me on what they should do before they contact AEW or contact WWE. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to go there or, or just to get videotapes and see you know, them putting together shows and so on and so forth. There's shows in Ghana, there's shows in Nigeria, there's shows in South Africa, and hopefully one day AEW will be able to do a show on the continent itself. Yeah, I've never been to Africa before. Oh, wow, you would have such a great time. The first two places you should go to is uh, either Ghana or South Africa. You have a ball, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Is is, is it like you see, like, is there giraffes walking around and elephants? No, no, no. If if you go on the safari, yes. If you go on the safari, yes. But, you know, again, beautiful scenery. The hotels are are unbelievable. The, the, The beaches are great. You're going to have a great time. And the food, oh my God. The fufu, you are going to love fufu what is and fufu? peanut butter soup. It's yams. Basically, yams just crushed down together, all right, and it turns into a nice soft ball, and they put it into soup. And the soup that you would like it with is peanut butter soup with goat neck. 
with peanut no, butter I'm sorry, soup. with Tucky Neck. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious let's, stuff. Let's get back to, to wrestling. When you're talking about being a manager, who are some of your influences uh, that you try and oh, man. follow? When, you, when you're talking about managerial greatness, you got to be talking about Bobby the Brain Heenan, who I got a chance to, to meet while I was a manager. Uh, towards the end of his career, so it was it was good to meet him and talk to him and thank him for all that he's done. The Slick Reverend Slick was one of my favorites. You a jazz so bro, a jazz so bro, and I love that stuff so much. You have Brother Love, you have you know uh, Paul Berra. There's so many, you know Paul Heyman, so many great names. I'm just trying to you know put my mark in the business. All right, make champions, make great moments. And inspire people to do what it is that they want to do in life. So what did uh, did Bobby give you any advice or what did Bobby say? Well, you know, at that time, Bobby was going through his, his yeah. you know, situation. So it was more of a handshake and an eye wink. And right. that was that good was enough yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, and yeah. and that, that said enough for me because, you know, he actually came to Ring of Honor before he got sick. So oh, he really? So he knows about the product. He met a lot of us beforehand. My first meeting with him, I didn't really get to speak to him because, it, you know, it's like, this is Bobby the Brain Heenan. Let me leave him alone. But, you know, that second time around when I got to meet him, it was really good to get that eye wink from him. Let's talk about, you said you were at Ring of Honor from the very start. Yes. So how did Ring of Honor actually start? Because it became quite a, a big company, and it is now again. But tell us about the Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's interesting because there's so many varieties to the story. So many different varieties to the story. But my uh, outtake of the story is it started in New York City. Okay, it started in New York City in the Elks Lodge. Okay, and at that time, you know, it was just a regular independent company there. They called it something else. It wasn't connected to Ring of Honor or anything like that. But a lot of the owners of Ring of Honor used to travel with those independent shows to sell their merchandise and so on and so forth. So after they saw, like, us, you know, all of these young guys from New York, and we're talking about me, we're talking about Loki, we're talking about Homicide, we're talking about Xavier, we're talking about uh, the SAT, we're talking about, you know, those guys that at that time were undeniable in the wrestling business as far as on an independent level, with the next step being, you know, the big time. These guys right here were unstoppable. You know, and with those guys and then the mix of the Samoa Joes, you know, and the Christopher Daniels and the Scoot Andrews that came from the West Coast and so on and so forth, uh, Ring of Honor was born. And, and you know, it, it, it really started with, you know, a bunch of New York wrestlers kind of just joking around and saying that, you know, we needed something, you know, to fill the void of ECW, which you know, just went out of business, you know, and we kind of just needed something in New York to fill that void or in the hardcore uh, lane to fill that void. And Ring of Honor did that. That first show uh, was a very special show. And I don't know what exactly it was that made the show special. Mm -hmm. But after it, we all knew that we had something and that we were on to something and that we all needed to bust our butt in order to uh, maintain it and to call it our own. So what was kind of the first wave of seeing the popularity of Ring of Honor start? Because mostly you mentioned was a New York-based company. When right. did you start branching out and when did it start to grow? Well, it was a Philadelphia-based company. Oh, sorry, the, but, you know, the, the company that it kind of like uh, uh, piggybacked off of kind of died out. Ring of Honor became its thing, its own thing. Uh, and I think 
right around the time when when we started doing the embassy stuff in 2004 is when it really started to get over a hump and and that hump uh it wasn't easy you know i was a part of not only the talent but i was also working with carrie silken in the office you know booking venues and so on and so forth but we really got our first big big break venue-wise, when we went to the New Yorker Hotel, which is right next door to the Hammerstein Ballroom. And I was I was instrumental in getting that building booked for Ring of Honor after another building that we booked canceled on us the night before the show, or two nights before the show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thank God I came to the rescue, uh, and uh, we had one of our greatest shows ever at that event, and it was uh, Joe versus Kenta Kabashi. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, one of ROH's, at that time, most sold DVD, one of mm-hmm. the biggest events that we had, most watched events, and I'm proud to have been a part of that. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So what are some of the highlights for you around that time frame? Some of the things that you were involved in? Oh, forget it. Jimmy Rave. Rest in peace. Ah, Jimmy Rave. Jimmy Rave was, uh, forget it, he was uh, the golden child of of the embassy and of Ring of Honor. He's truly missed uh, today. He's one of my best and most fondest memories of, uh, you know, building the embassy. He was the crown jewel, you know, uh, the whole moniker crown jewel. I think, we, you know, the embassy was the first ones to use that in the wrestling business. Uh, and we used it for Jimmy Rave. Uh, we also had Bison Smith, rest in peace to him, who was, a, you know, a huge a huge, huge part of like the, the building of the embassy. And, and we just, you know, went through a lot of, of uh, guys as far as competition. We're talking about CM Punk, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, Colt Cabana, you know, uh, a whole bunch of, of guys that we just kind of went through as far as, you know, our rivals. And, and a lot of them went on to do big and, and bad things. And I'm proud of them for doing what they're doing. You know, it's a great thing, my friend. But, you know, my whole experience in Ring of Honor was, uh, it was great. I, I, I can't, you know, there's, of course, there's bumps in the road and, and there's a lot of, you know, different, you know, things that may have happened that may seem negative, but I wouldn't change it uh, for a thing. I wouldn't change one, one piece of that for a thing. How about from a physical standpoint, obviously, as a manager and you're a wrestler, so you know how to take bumps. Have you taken some, some, some big bumps in Ring Ooh. of Honor and... Some, some stories that you have, oh, injuries oh, or something. Uh, Red Dragon. Uh, they, they brought me out uh, and uh, they put me in one of their moves. And uh, forget it. That was it. And I've been taking bumps all of my life. But as soon as they put me into their move, that was it. I, I, <laughs> Bobby Fish. Bobby yeah. Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> yeah, and Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, those guys are some tough son of a guns, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've been taking bumps from everyone, from the Midnight Express all the way up uh, till you know, uh, God knows who. But 
Uh, Red Dragon definitely one tough. They didn't, you know, hurt me or anything like that. But they're moved. just feeling it. Yeah, exactly. I definitely well, felt. Well, you mentioned the Midnight Express. How did you take a bump from them? Oh my God! They hit me in the nuts with Jim Cornette's uh, <laughs> uh, what you call it racket. <laughs> I still have to give someone a receipt for that. But those guys are great, man. They're great. They're great. And, and why were you working with the Midnight Express? Is that, well, is that Bobby Eaton and, and that was and Bobby Dennis Eaton Conner and Stan and, Lane? And exactly. At that time. Uh, the embassy was beefing with them. Rob like, gotcha. hey, listen, we anyone who came in there, they, they wanted a piece of the action. We took all comers, my friend, all comers, <laughs> and that included the Midnight Express. <laughs> so let's talk more about about uh, about your time here in AW and some of the, the highlights for you since you've since you started here. Um, obviously, you mentioned the, the the members of the embassy. That's Talk about some of the moments that you've had. I mean, and oh, one of the, one of the big moments that I really enjoy is your is your dance down oh to the right. Oh my god! Don't stop. That's so, the one that everyone talks about. <laughs> don't stop. Well, you know that it's crazy because the first day that I met uh, the trio of Brian Cage, Toa, and Khan, uh, I didn't know who I was going to be working right, with right, right. that day. So I'm walking in the back, looking like a, a maniac. And I just see these three guys in the corner, corner, and they're huddled. And I see one big Samoan guy, and he's like giving me this smile, like this evil smile. And uh, come to find out, they were the guys that I was uh, uh, acquiring from uh, Tully Blanchard. And boy, has it been a uh, a great, great, great ride. Since then, I've worked with Brian and the Gates of Agony, and we've, uh, you know, catapulted each and every one of us in the group, you know, we've catapulted uh, ourselves to a level where we're undeniable, where, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the people who put the uh, matches together uh, decide to put us in the matches because they know that they're going to get a hard hitting, uh, exciting uh, presentation. And, you know, working with Swerve has been, you know, probably one of the smartest things that has ever uh, happened as far as my character is concerned. And I asked Swerve this the other day. I was having a conversation with him. I said, you know, who came up with, with, with this idea to put us together, you know? Uh, and he was like, it's 100% Tony. And, and for Tony to be the one to put us together and for this magic to happen, it's unbelievable. Because I feel like I'm, I'm where I need to be. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm where I need to be. I, I could showcase all sides of... Prince Nana, from the sophisticated to the urban to the funny to the quiet, everything could be showcased through Swerve uh, and the embassy. So that's really exciting. It's amazing, too, because you're on Ring of Honor, but now you're on AW Dynamite quite oh, often, yeah. Collision, whatever oh, yeah. maybe. So you're, you're basically all over the shows now. All over the place, and I'm dancing. <laughs> all right. And, and, and let me tell you, the dance, how that came about was, uh, you know, I got some good information from the AEW office. Uh, I believe it was during the Canada trip or maybe a little after that because Canada took a lot out of everybody. Mm -hmm. I love Canada. Long trips to yeah, get exactly. Out, not not a lot of directs to Regina. Yeah, it's a very Regina. I love that place. Yeah. But um, I was in my room, got some good news, and uh, next thing you know, I, I was I you know put on Instagram. I put on the Swerve song, and I was like, I'm gonna just dance to this, and I just started dancing. That same dance. <laughs> I did that same dance. I taped it. We went maybe about two weeks. And, and you know, when I was initially walking him to the ring, I, I had a little motion in my step, a little pep in my step. But I, I said to myself, maybe two weeks into that, I looked at that video again and said, you know what, I'm going to do this dance. And I did it one night, and boom, 
history again was made and and just since then every week people are uh, requesting me to do it i did it in london in front of eighty thousand people uh we're getting memes we're getting people you know doing the challenge so it, it's definitely a great thing did you ever have any um interactions with wwe any tryouts there at all oh like too many yeah. <laughs> too many way a lot of interactions um i wrestled crash holly at madison square garden rest in peace to him for what a tv taping it or was something? for a tv taping oh, metal cool. um so i put him you know i was uh, working him i asked i also worked uh steve blackman at nashville coliseum oh, that goes back a long that way goes a long yeah. way so i was actually there during the wwf era right. before it became wwe uh, and then in between that, I also had different tryouts with the company where they brought me in, you know, to try out as a manager and, 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 and they know me pretty well. I never, I don't know exactly why, you know, I never ended up getting a job there particularly, but, you know, uh, I'm a believer in everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, everything happens for a reason. I didn't think that I wouldn't make it in the pro wrestling business. But thank God everything fell into the place that it fell into because I wouldn't want to be anywhere else other than AEW. So you never had one of the official tryouts where you got to go to the performance? Oh, no, I never or... never went down there. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, they know that you know my pockets are deep <laughs> and that I may not want to relocate all the way to Florida for the rest of my life. I love living in New York City. New York City is my second home outside of uh Ghana, oh, yeah. it's going to be very hard to, to get Florida me. Florida's th three hours further away from Ghana, too. Hey, so. you know what? It is, but there's too many lizards running around uh, Florida for me, my friend. Were you uh, a, a wrestling fan as a kid? Did you oh. have experiences of trying to meet the guys and going to the shows? Well, you know what? Uh, I, I didn't get too crazy with the meeting part because my mom, again, she was a very strict Ghanaian woman. Very strict with, you know... Uh, education and we i have five brothers and sisters oh wow right and i'm the last born so i'm the black sheep doing the wrestling business so you can imagine uh i have we have doctors lawyers we have um physicians that are my brothers and sisters and my nephew is actually a um doctor right now also but uh growing up as a kid pro wrestling was everything once i watched wrestlemania 8 right uh i saw wrestling before that and it was interesting to me but, you know, after getting to borrow the WrestleMania tape from one of my neighbors, his name is TJ. I still tell him about it till today. Uh, I watched Ric Flair versus uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. And not only was that match really good and was great and historic match, but the storyline leading into it with uh, the whole thing with uh, Elizabeth, you know, cheating on Macho Man Randy Savage it just totally had me compelled and involved. And, and after that match, I knew I wanted to be uh, in the wrestling business. Did you go to the shows back in those days? Oh, yeah. I used to go to Madison Square Garden. Uh, I was a part of the WWF fan club. So, uh, you know, whenever they uh, sent out the package, they would send you a free ticket. So I got a free ticket to a show like every time they came to New York. Uh, and then when I would, when I got really smart, which was in high school, where I was a big deal in high school, just I was the editor of the yearbook at the high school. I was the senior speaker at my high school, which is John Dewey High School in Brooklyn, New York. You know, it, it was, you know, it, it was just, where, where were we at that point? 
We're just talking about you uh, going to the shows and then yeah, she. And so, so basically, you know, from being uh, in Dewey and becoming a photographer in high school, uh, I was able to start going to the shows like Madison Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum, and I started to photograph. And I photographed some of the greats, which includes Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn, who I see in the back here, I, I photographed him when I was 13 years old as the um, smoking guns in Madison Square Garden, Shawn Michaels, all the greats. And I photographed for a very long time for Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. Oh, wow. And I started there as a, a child working as a photographer, which is just crazy to me when I think back at how crazy I was as an individual. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. What's the secret to being a good pro wrestling ringside photographer? Uh, stay out of the way. Stay out of the way and make sure the guys get their pictures ASAP. Okay? As long as you make sure the guys get their pictures, maybe a day after you take the pictures, they're going to be your friend and they're going to help you out in life. Did you ever have anybody to give any trouble when you were uh... a photographer? Yeah. Oh, no. Not at all. You see, when I was a photographer, I wasn't allowed to be at ringside. So when I did shoot for WWE in Madison Square Garden, I shot from the seats. But, you know, again, I was saving up and working like a maniac trying to be. And I bought a, a large uh, focus lens and I was able to shoot from my seat at that time. But no one ever really gave me problems on the independent shows or at Johnny Rods when I was shooting. As we start to wind down, kind of tell us what it was like to work in Madison Square Garden. You mentioned oh, I actually wrestled there after being there as a fan and seeing it all and. You know, it was it was it was crazy because looking back, and I look back at that video all the time. I think I was like twenty one or maybe twenty, or something like that, and it was surreal at that time. It was huge, and, and it was an unbelievable opportunity. At that point, I was in the wrestling business for like five years. Not the wrestling business, but I've been training and doing independent shows for maybe five years, so a couple of years or something like that. So it was an unbelievable experience that I thought to myself, maybe this will be the last time that I do something this big. But then Ring of Honor ended up coming to Madison Square Garden. I wasn't on that show, but I, I feel like I had a lot to do with Ring of Honor getting to that show. And again, it's just a blessing to have done Wembley, which overshadowed mm -hmm. my uh, Madison Square Garden uh, debut. But again, uh, it's truly a blessing to have even been able to step into a ring at Madison Square Garden to do this, let alone Wembley. How was your Wembley experience? Oh, man. Tell us what you thought uh, about it, that. It's, the fact that you were there was unbelievable. Your performance <laughs> was great. Sting, that guy is unbelievable. Yeah. I'm still afraid of him. <laughs> I'm still afraid of him. He kidnapped me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had an unbelievable uh, match with Swerve at All In and... Man, I'm still taking it in. I still catch shivers till today, thinking about uh, 80,000 people just watching us do our thing on the grandest stage of them all in AEW. And, you know, we were the first company to really do it at that 
grand of a level. So it's, it, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Last few things. Tell us a little bit about Xavier. You mentioned that he's not with us anymore. Don't really know a lot about him, and I've never discussed him on Talk as Jericho, so kind of give him a little bit of Man, from his props. Xavier was a sweetheart. Yeah. What a great guy he was. He, he was actually, this is a true story, the first like friend I met in the wrestling business. The first day I went to get my uh, license in New York State, for the New York State, uh, you know, pro wrestling license. He was in the office, uh, and we started talking, and we hit it off. He was telling me where he trained. I told him where I trained. Uh, and then we lost contact for maybe two years, and then we ended up popping up at an indie together. And since then, we were friends, for like friends till the end, all the way until he passed away. I think I, I spoke to him maybe a week before he passed away, and... Um, I still think about him every day today. He's a great guy, great individual. His son is big now. Uh, he was very much into his family. He loved the pro wrestling business, helping people out. Uh, and he was one of the true champions of Ring of Honor. And, and you know, uh, I'm glad that you brought him up. Him and Jay are always going to be uh, on my mind. You know, Jay Briscoe, mm. Xavier, uh, you know, uh, and there's a few other guys. Jimmy Rave. Jimmy Rave. Of course, and and it's crazy that a lot of these guys came from the embassy, but it just you know goes to show you how um, how serious I am uh, about leaving a mark in this industry. I love it so much. This is all I've got, and uh, you know I'm just blessed. I'm blessed to be sitting here talking to you, and uh, just blessed to continue performing for the fans at this level as Prince Nana. Last question for you. What's your favorite match you've ever been involved with as a, as a manager? Uh, I was on pay-per-view. Actually, uh, it was on pay-per-view, and I got coerced into wrestling again back in uh, 2012 uh, for Ring of Honor. And I did a, a match versus, uh, you know, he was a, a part of the embassy at that time, R.D. Evans. And then he became uh, my arch nemesis because he was trying to break up the embassy. So we ended up uh, going through a whole feud that lasted a couple of months, and the culmination was uh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom, one-on-one, -on -one, and the fans ate it up. And that was probably, you know, I did, I did all the things that I thought I would never, like, that I thought I would never do as a wrestler. I was doing superplexes from the top <laughs> rope. I was diving out the ring. I did everything that people thought I couldn't do. And at the end of that, a lot of the guys came up to me and said, Nana, you proved why you belong in this business and and all i could do is just cry and say thank you well dude it's a great story i know your pockets are deep uh, i saw you tip me a little bit here to have you on the deep. show which is great man Very i appreciate deep. that so big show tonight for the embassy and, and for, for aw and it's good to, to, to talk to you and have you here man thank you so much chris what a blessing the embassy forever can you speak ghana yeah of course give us a message in ghana be antonel me nano say yao <laughs> he said it first, baby. <laughs>